This is a Stimulus Network podcast. The Cosmic Shed. Hello and welcome to the Cosmic Shed. Today's episode is all about Sea Spiricon. I mean, um, cons- conspiracy. No, no, it's Sea Spiracy, isn't it? My name is Ali. I've been fascinated with the ocean for as long as I can remember. But this romantic vision that I always had of the ocean completely changed. I was forced to confront a side of the story I never knew. A story of just how huge our impact on the seas had become. If you haven't seen it, the premise of the film is that yes, plastic is a problem in the oceans, but that's not really something we can do something about because the real problem is fishing. Where are the big environment groups? They are deliberately not engaging with the most important issue of all. Ali Tabrizi, the filmmaker, suggests that there is a large conspiracy among the fisheries industry and people who work in it to make sure that fishing continues despite what it's doing to our oceans. And it's caused some controversy. Can you turn off the cameras? Thanks. Would you say there's any safety concerns for me making this film? I'm Andrew, and I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by two friends of the shed and two people who are new to the shed. Emma. Hello. Um, yes, I think I've been on the shed three or four times. Always an absolute pleasure. I'm the host of a podcast called For What It's Earth, where we have a look at all sorts of different environmental topics and ask, you know, is there a way that you and I can save the planet? I also work with Beaver Trust, who are a really wonderful uh, environmental organisation, as you might be able to tell from the name, um, who are really working on the reintroduction of the Eurasian beaver back into the UK because they're, they're the most amazing keystone species which can uh, completely alter an ecosystem and create the most wonderful biodiverse carbon capture kind of wetland landscape. So I work with them as well. I produce and edit their podcast, uh, The Lodgecast, which is an immense amount of fun because beavers are way more interesting than you might think. Yeah, I mean, the podcast is is increasing my love for beavers exponentially. You're, I would like to know why you watched Sea Spiracy. Personal interest in the environment means that generally the Netflix category for documentaries does quite well on um, what I end up watching. But also... Absolutely everybody was watching it and a lot of people were texting me and asking, what did you think? I know you like environmental things. So I just felt compelled and slightly peer pressured to join in the, the mass watching of said quite controversial documentary. Yes, I think that's that's fair. So I've been slightly silly about the name. We've mentioned it's controversial. I texted friend of the shed, Russell Arnott, and said, have you seen it? And you said... No, I haven't because... I really hate the name. (laughs) Like, this is what always happens when a new anything marine comes out on TV and Netflix and things like that. And everyone, I just get inundated with texts going, have you watched it? Have you watched it? Have you watched it? And I don't, like, easily have Netflix. And so I'm always like, oh, can I borrow your login? And all this. So I did that with my octopus teacher. And then everyone was texting me about Seaspiracy. And I just got really angry. I was like... I ha- like, why is it such a crap name? Like, I'm just, I could not, like, it's like they didn't even think. Like, I got cowspiracy and conspiracy. It's one letter difference. But why didn't they call it conspiracy? 
Because you see seas piracy or seas piracy, you think it's about pirates. Good point. I didn't see that, but yes. Okay. That's what a lot of people see. But if you think about it, it's a lot harder to talk about conspiracy. Because if you start walking around and you're like, hey, have you seen conspiracy? People are just going to be like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then you need to define, you know, it's not as, it's not as obvious. So Mm. I feel like that might be the reason. Or... It just makes the parallel with cowspiracy, right? Because the producer is the same, so maybe that's the... Not that I'm trying to defend the title, I'm not particularly fond of it either, but for other reasons. Well, it's like if if there's any conspiracies about anything now that he directs, it's just going to be, I don't know, pillow prissy. That's the first thing thing I saw was my pillows. (laughs) I cannot wait to come on the shed and talk about that that show. That's going to be wonderful. <laughs> Please produce that. I think there is something to do with pillows, isn't there? Isn't there a guy who makes pillows who's linked to Donald Trump in some is way? There? I think that's a thing. Yeah. Am I actually? I'm waiting for veg spiracy. So this is a shed spiracy. You've just heard Marine Kuza. Is that is Kuza? Am I saying that right? Yeah, somewhat. Apparently, it's Romanian, and I don't know how it's pronounced. So I pronounce it Kuza, kind of the way you pronounce it. Yeah, so that's right. That's about right. And Marine is Marine. It's French. So um, funny enough, I'm also a marine biologist, but it's it's just a coincidence. It's hard, it's hard isn't it, for those of us who for whom this is the first time we've spoken to you not to enjoy that, but you presumably have to endure that all the time. Yeah, yeah you get used yeah. to it. Yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> Are you ever tempted to change your middle name to biologist? Well, I, I, yeah, I mean that's 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 actually my um, my my little WhatsApp. Uh, you know, you've you've got the name of the person, Marine, and I just wrote Mary biologist underneath. So that's what people see when. Uh... But no, yeah, I mean, I have been asked though if I've changed my first name to Marine on purpose, <laughs> and I was just thinking, how lame do people think I really am? Like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> this is that's really weird but well i don't know which we shouldn't dwell on it too much but i should just mention that i do know a percussionist called neil hit <laughs> oh well I, I would just like to say that one of the world's leading ichthyologists is called peter herring that's pretty good actually <laughs> <laughs> but more importantly than your name um you made a video on youtube which i saw and loved about this very film, we're going to get your views on the film, clearly, that's why you're here. We're also going to get your insights on marine biology, because you're doing a PhD in something even more interesting to me than plankton, which is what Russell's doing. His PhD. Oh, no, don't go there. Plankton is amazing. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, without plankton, there is there is nothing. Quite. So what's your PhD in? That's not quite as good as plankton. <laughs> Well, I'm looking at ways to tackle fraud in the seafood industry, Uh, most specifically kind of genetic methods to try and um, see whether or not we can actually catch seafood fraud. And I've also been working on issues pertaining to illegal fishing, but I do that as a kind of a on the side as a consultant. So I've been working for some NGOs as a fisheries consultant where I spent quite a bit of time looking at... um, anything that has to do with illegal fishing. So yeah, I mean, uh, it's, uh, I mean, I was very excited as you can imagine about this movie because 
as I said in the video, that's what I do, right? This is yeah, this, yeah it really is. <laughs> it's literally what I do. I really, I'm, I really want to know how you go about investigating fraud through genetics. Um, it's actually well, you've probably heard about it. So you've probably heard about seafood mislabeling, uh, or maybe, maybe not. There is, uh, you know, there's been actually quite a lot of media attention about this. But uh, seafood mislabeling is a thing, and it's actually fairly easy to use genetics to be able to identify what the species of fish is and see whether or not it's labeled properly. So that's been done quite a lot in the past, and I've been working on um, testing and developing tools that are much quicker to identify the species. So instead of you know, having to have an expert that takes the samples and send it to another lab on the other side of the planet, you can actually basically do it yourself. Um, so I've been working on these methods. And, um, and then the other thing I'm working on is actually trying to see if you can use genetic to, um, to know where, where your fish comes from. So as opposed to what the fish is, can you actually pinpoint back where it was caught exactly? And, and the reality is that in a lot of the cases, you can. Uh, you use concepts of population genetics. It's a little bit like the, you know, like the 23andMe websites where you just send a, a swab of your saliva or whatever, and they tell you who your ancestors are. So effectively, kind of where you come from, it's a little bit the same concept. Okay. So uh, populations that are somewhat reproductively isolated will have a slightly different genetic makeup than another population and you'll be able to use that to look at the geographical origin of your fish so we can use that to see if the geographical origin is also uh, mislabeled but this is kind of cutting edge at the moment okay so that's why you're doing a phd in it right so yeah exactly <laughs> yeah I, you're do where are you doing it i'm doing the phd at the university of salford and I do um, in Manchester. I also work as a research assistant at Liverpool John Moores University, so I'm affiliated with both uh, both very institutions. Nice. Very nice, lovely stuff. We'll come back to you very soon because there's somebody else who's um, been patiently waiting, and um, it's Natalie Dyer, who I have been following on Twitter for some time, and in thoroughly enjoying your content. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? Thank you very much. Um, I've got an undergraduate degree in marine vertebrate zoology. Um, and then since graduating that, I've spent the last five years working in seal rehabilitation. So um, looking after sick and injured seal pups, um, doing a little bit of research around that as well. Um, in my free time, trying to look after the seas as well. So doing some voluntary beach clean type things, doing some voluntary marine pathology, which is very interesting. Um, and then, yeah, I've recently, about six months ago, left my job in seal rehabilitation and I've trying to make a move into the world of science communication now. And you're doing a master's in science communication, aren't you? Yeah, I'm doing an MSc um, up in the University of Sheffield, although I'm currently down in Cornwall. Oh, I got okay. stuck down here after Christmas because of coronavirus. So it's very strange doing technically doing a master's degree at the other end of the country, but being at home down here in Cornwall. Yeah, no, it's a nice place to be, though. You're going to be anywhere. It's pretty good, isn't it? It could be it worse, could be. yeah. yeah. <laughs> But I should also declare my own interest in, in this is that uh, I'm also a lecturer in um, wildlife filmmaking. One of the things 
that I teach in my lectures is um, about editing and interviewing. And I talk about the importance of integrity and honesty and the importance of when you're interviewing people and editing them, making sure that you retain the core message of what they were trying to say. And Oh, you must have the, been uh, happy with a conspiracy there. <laughs> yes. I, uh, so apart from that, which we'll come to, um, I also um, started watching the, uh, the film and within about five minutes, I had to pause it and go and get a beer <laughs> because I was... Uh, Just one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I was really quite irritated by the the dishonesty of the filmmaking quite aside from the editing and the the actual filmmaking really irritated me because you can't start a film to my mind you can't start a film and say you are passionate about the seas you've been passionate about the sea since you were five years old and then talk about plastic pollution as if it's something new to you I don't think that works as a narrative and I don't think you can also talk about the stuff that we've all seen in the cove as if you've just found out about it you know you can't be a filmmaker a wildlife filmmaker an investigative journalist wildlife filmmaker and not have seen the cove it doesn't it doesn't follow and it was really irritating me and I had to keep pausing it. I was I have to say that I had in the week running up to it watched Aquaman. Russ Russ is pulling a fantastic face. Not a fan. <laughs> I I Andy texts me. Text it I'm watching Aquaman and I was like, ha ha ha. So like on paper I should have I should have loved that. And in the end we both agreed that it's sole redeeming feature was uh, Jason Momoa in in Spandex so yeah, which yeah. is the only reason yeah, I would watch just, that film yeah. it is the it's pretty much the only reason I saw it through to the end so <laughs> I I saw it through to halfway purely because of that but then anyway and then I then I watched um the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League and so basically what I'm saying is that I'd spent a lot of time watching films that had annoyed me before I started watching this one. And um, and then so I thought to myself when I finished watching it, am I just being grumpy? And so I went on to Twitter and found that I wasn't. Um, I wasn't alone in my uh, things. And one of the first tweets was that I saw was yours, Natalie. What happened when you watched the film? Oh, I think just disappointment from the word go really I it's obviously a subject which I feel really passionately about and yeah like you say what struck me from the start was why is this man kind of gone on this mission presenting this film and he obviously doesn't know the basics about this world he hasn't done his homework it's either that or he's kind of pretending that he doesn't know anything so that he can make it seem like it's this big cover-up um these are these are things that people have been talking about for years and I think I just I was kind of I didn't know whether the film was being sincere whether he was kind of you know genuinely in awe of these things but right from the start I sort of thought I'm not in safe hands with this film there's something that's really dodgy about this 
And I think the more it went on, the more it became clear that it wasn't a film about, you know, exposing these important issues in kind of marine conservation. It was a film that kind of wanted attention. And I think you can be a film that wants attention for the right reasons. And I think if we look at it in a kind way, then perhaps it is a film that's drawn a lot of attention towards these issues. But it's kind of put a lot of misinformation out there. It's made a lot of people, you know, talk about the wrong issues. It's confused a lot of people. And I think after watching it, I was just really disappointed that something I feel so passionately about had been some, done kind of such a disservice. And like you say, I kind of, once I finished watching it, I had seen a lot of my friends, lots of people um, that I know really raving about it and saying, you know, this is a really wonderful film. And I kind of felt, oh God, am I am I an awful person? <laughs> that I really, I don't get on with this film at all. And like you say, it wasn't long after logging onto Twitter um, that I kind of saw a lot of other people agreed that perhaps this wasn't the best film. I was lucky because I'd done lots of kind of fisheries type modules when I was at university. I happened to follow a lot of marine scientists who didn't get on well with this film. Um, so I think in that sense, I was lucky that I kind of was part to some extent of that bubble. And these people were confirming what I kind of intuitively knew or knew as a fact to be wrong. And I think a lot of people, you know, if you are perhaps in a less marine fisheries type echo chamber online, there are a lot of people who probably don't understand that this film, you know, isn't quite hitting it on the fairness and accuracy points. There's people from the marine biology world, there's people from the science communication world who are kind of disappointed with it. But there's this whole other community of people for whom this is news, for whom this is um, information that they haven't been, even if it's wrong information, it's sort of in the right direction. I think we can probably agree that it's that that's the case i don't come from a fisheries background but i'll do a lot of science communication themed around the ocean and i remember when the original blue planet came out and i was studying at southampton and all the oceanographers were up in arms and angry about how they called such and such a current something that wasn't the right name I'm like but the fact that now the public are aware that that current exists, at least that's, or care about that current and its effect on the climate or this fishery is is an important thing. And I, I guess I felt a similar thing about this film, that, okay, it's not like perfect and ticks all the, the like correct science boxes, but in terms of balancing trying to communicate what effectively might not be that interesting thing to the layman, like fisheries management and sustainable fishing, <laughs> but presenting it in a way that makes them feel, care about it. I felt it did a f like an okay job, but uh, that's me not having <laughs> any fisheries background. Fair enough. But I, when you're watching it, are you sort of feeling disappointment in the inaccuracies, disappointment in the um, honest dishonesty, should we say? I felt when I watched Cowspiracy, I think the power in that film was the lack of agenda that it was or apparent lack of agenda that where this guy was going on a voyage of discovery and just like, well, what? why isn't this? Why isn't this like this? Why isn't this like this? And I felt that the agenda was a bit that this film had a little bit more of that. And you can tell from the beginning because he cared about the ocean and was this, you know, doing beach cleans and things like that. So I feel that the agenda 
and the anti-fishing thing was kind of made obvious and there wasn't so much of an exploration of the pros and cons of fishing or like talking about its economic benefits or providing you know income for x amount of people so i thought i i thought it was more much more biased than i was expecting and like you said i was curious as to like is that a true fact one of the scientists who was interviewed for um the film is professor christina hicks um and she tweeted some disappointment about the way the film had represented well had, had represented the arguments really so i emailed Christina and said, I probably understand you probably don't want to do an interview at the moment. Um, In fairness, she would have wanted to, but she just couldn't tonight. But she did send me um, something to say, and this is what she emailed. Uh, My biggest issue with the film was not the issues they raise, which I completely agree are serious and do work on myself, but it was whether their narrow silver bullet strategy to cut out fish of a few people's diets will help. Unfortunately, they've undermined the vast field of work on sustainable fisheries that are needed alongside any dietary shifts if we have any hope of curbing biodiversity loss. Um, Everybody's nodding. Maureen. Yeah, I mean, I... I completely agree with that statement. And I think for me, that's also the the biggest issue with the movie. But, you know, you, you didn't want a, us to, to raise some of the what, the positive points. And I, I do also agree that um, it did expose some important, you know, some important points that we've been talking about for decades, it seems. But it also seems like a lot of people were just completely unaware that they existed. So in, in with respect to that, um, it, it has started a conversation to some extent. Uh, the problem is that it's not, I, I don't know to which extent that conversation can go in this. And this goes back to this whole point of the agenda is eventually it is for him to tell us to not eat fish, right? So the entire movie is framed around this narrative of of not eating fish. And everyone who advocates for a different solution is an enemy, basically. Um, and that's extremely damaging for, for anyone who is not as extreme as that, for anyone who doesn't necessarily advocate for not eating fish, but who is looking at, um, who's, you know, advocating sustainable fisheries. Or, and, um, and so the conversation that started um for me it's it's been very conflicting because in a way i'm very happy that all of a sudden people seem to care about illegal fishing and about slavery at sea and i'm thinking oh my god like i thought people didn't really care about these things now i realize perhaps i was wrong but at the same time scientists i mean not everyone is doing that but they've been shut down by people, right? People, there's a lot of people that have been watching an hour and a half of this movie and they're, it's created some, such a strong environment of mistrust that if you raise any issue with this movie as if it was completely sacred, you are labeled as being corrupted, as being someone who does not care about 
the oceans or whatever. I mean, I've been told that the ocean was very unlucky to have me study it. Really? Yes. And that, so that is the kind of environment it has created. And to me, that is not starting a conversation. That is completely the opposite. That is shutting me out, right, mm -hmm. of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Someone who's been studying this for, for years. So I'm... That's why I'm saying that I'm conflicted because in a way, I don't know to which extent we can have this conversation. Because if the only solution that is proposed in the movie is stop eating fish, and if people truly believe that that is the only solution, then there's nothing else to talk about. If you talk about anything else, you're being labeled as the enemy. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, this is where, I, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like it's almost doing more damage than good. And uh, it's a little bit scary. Yeah. It is. I think the fact that Sea Shepherd featured so prominently throughout it, and they are a completely and utterly polarizing extreme organization that where there's no gray area, you're either a dick <laughs> or you're with them. And and I feel exact the tone of that was very much in line with yeah what you've been saying. Can I can I just ask what side of the argument you sit on there? <laughs> Uh, I think that Sea Shepherd are a, a, a really amazing, like very charismatic organisation. And I think that it's important that we have people like that and organisations like that in the conversation. I think the work that they showed, uh, you know, off of Liberia, I think is really valuable. I feel quite strongly that these people deserve a place at the table. I think that part of the conversation i think the message of c spiricon sorry i keep getting the name wrong don't i, I don't know why that is the core message of it deserves a place at the table i think it's gone about it in the wrong way um i think there's too much incorrect stuff i think there's too much dishonesty i don't think it's good journalism but i think the message of the eating less fish should be part of the conversation it's not the only answer yeah i think you're right i think especially the inflammatory nature of it. I think a lot of people have come away from watching this film and seeing this. It was almost like Borat at the time watching it. You know, he was going in rooms with these people and just trying to catch them out. It was odd to watch. But I think people have come away from it and they think that's the way to address problems now. Like you say, Maureen, people have been spewing all kinds of vile stuff in the comments sections on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter towards people who have dedicated their lives to working towards marine conservation. And I think they think that really is the way that they're going to affect change. I think this film left people with so little hope and so few solutions other than be aggressive to people and stop eating fish that I don't think people know how to direct this new awareness that perhaps they've got. I think, yeah, you know, if you're going to, pluck a good thing from this film it's that perhaps people are now aware of what's going on at sea but I think a lot of people probably will have watched this film and thought it's absolutely hopeless I can't do anything we're all screwed you know it is what it is hard luck you know fatalist attitude a lot of people will have come away and thought these are absolute vegan nut jobs. He's just told me that, you know, these people have sunk 13 boats and they want me to give up my fish and chips on a Friday. They're nutters. The ocean can do one. I'm living my life. And then a lot of other people have come away and thought, you know, 
certified fisheries are a waste of time. If I am going to buy fish, I'm going to go and I'm going to buy whatever fish because it's all hopeless anyway. Or they've thought, you know, these NGOs are bent. I'm going to go and I'm going to be aggressive towards them on Twitter or I'm going to redirect my donations or my time and energy. And, you know, I'm either going to give up with that or I'm going to direct it all towards Sea Shepherd, which, you know, different people do have different opinions on Sea Shepherd. I think, you know, they've got their place. They are, like you say, charismatic. They do a lot to raise awareness. You know, they perhaps dare to do things that other people don't dare to do. But I also think their style of kind of activism isn't going to save the oceans on its own. Perhaps it's got its time and place. Perhaps they're out there on a boat and they're going to stop people catching a vaquita in their net. And that's brilliant. But also, if we really do want to change the ocean as a whole, ramming a few boats isn't the way to do it. And I think this film has raised a lot of awareness and then driven a lot of people away from solutions. And I think that's really sad. It's a really wasted opportunity. I mean, for me, I don't know about you, but it felt like kind of quite a desperate programme made by people who really, really, really desperately believe that we should be eating less fish. And generally, that's a message I agree with in the same way I believe that we should be eating less meat and we should be thinking about where our food comes from and our impact on the planet. But it felt as though perhaps they saw the impact that cowspiracy had on a lot of people suddenly waking up to the realisation that eating meat was quite bad for the planet. They thought, right bugger it we're going to do the same again again for for the issues around overfishing um and and it felt like they just as as we said it was a very one-sided very agendered very hard not to be suspicious of style of journalism which was quite inflammatory at times it felt quite aggressive in its approach the way they were talking to a lot of people there wasn't a sit down let's all have a conversation and let's learn i felt like the the main filmmaker was really walking into rooms ready to have a war rather than just sit down ready to learn and I didn't really like I don't like watching that style of as you said uh, Andrew like journalism I wouldn't I wouldn't really call that what I would like to see in terms of journalism so it just felt like a really like last ditch attempt to make something that would go viral tick it did that very very well it was something that was very visually clickbaity uh, and it started conversations tick. If those were its if those were its kind of agendas to stop people eating as much fish and to get people talking, then yeah, fair play, it, it did both of those. But I just think, like you said, there was plenty of damage that it's potentially also done. And it just felt very like, we need to throw everything we can at this one particular thing uh, to make everyone have have this one behaviour change that we believe is correct, rather than arming people with enough facts to make their own decisions and to understand that everything is nuanced like you can't just say we're going to stop eating fish everyone needs to stop eating fish that's that's not going to work in in no in no situation is telling everybody to do exactly one thing across the world ever going to work it just it frustrated me and I don't very often get frustrated with documentaries and I don't like watching a documentary and find myself unpicking it and sitting away from it and criticizing it right from the beginning I want to be taken on a learning curve and I, I didn't I didn't find that with this at all. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to look at some solutions um, later in the podcast. I just want to address something because um, I've, I've called it dishonest. And I just want to say why I say that particularly from an, from the interview and the editing point of view. I think when I was watching it, all of those interviews with people in the industry saying basically saying 
we can't police what happens at sea. And it feels to me, as somebody who's done a lot of editing of interviews, a lot of interviews, a lot of filmmaking over the years, that that's a conversation that goes something like this. We do this, we do this, we do this, and we do this, and we do this, and we do this. But how do you police that at sea? Well, it's very difficult to police that at sea. But we do this, and we do this, and we do this, and we do this. And all we see on the film is it's very difficult to police that at sea. In fact, it's impossible. Of course it's impossible, because these are honest people. They're going to tell you the, the truth of it. It is, it is impossible, but they've done all these other things. They're doing all these other things. If that's what's happened, it's incredibly dishonest and um, fundamentally goes against everything that I would want to see from journalists, from science communicators, from wildlife filmmakers, whatever it is, uh, investigative journalists, in fact, even if I'm fully on side with those people and fully on side with their messaging, I don't want to see that kind of dishonesty in the editing suite. I just don't want to see it. Um, Mark Palmer of International Marine Mammal Project, who are responsible for the Dolphin Safe Tuna label. Mark Palmer says that um, during the interview, he was asked whether his group could guarantee that no dolphins were ever killed by any tuna fishery anywhere in the world. And Mark Palmer says, I answered, there are no guarantees in life but that drastically reducing the number of vessels intentionally chasing and netting dolphins, as well as other regulations in place, that the number of dolphins that are killed is very low, he said. The film took my statement out of context to suggest there is no oversight and we don't know whether dolphins are being killed. That is not true. Um, it's, it says to me that exactly what I thought was happening in, those in that editing suite is exactly what was happening. Um, Marine, uh, when I see the MCS labels, should I trust them? The MSC, you mean? Because <laughs> it's the Marine Stewardship, Stewardship Council. Council. Okay, thank you. You mean the Dolphin Safe label or the or the MSC label? Uh, any of them. <laughs> I, do, I don't know which one I said. But... <laughs> but the Dolphin Safe label. I'm not really familiar with uh, with that label and with the methods they use to. Uh, you know, to evaluate whether or not dolphins are being caught in um, in the fishing net. So I, I, it's hard for me to speak out on that. But as far as the, the MSC goes, I, I have actually worked with them quite a bit. Um, it is, it's interesting because the MSC is quite controversial, even in the um, fisheries research world. There are some people who are pro embassy and others who are not so pro embassy um and i i think that partly stems from the fact that if you do want to have an msc label you need to pay for it basically uh so i, I can understand where people start finding that bothering um the other critic i've heard is that small fisheries cannot afford it and they tend to be some of the fisheries that might be the least um destructive in some ways it depends it's not always true but so i i can um that is probably why there is some controversy within you know the fisheries community about the msc label it's a long answer but um <laughs> hopefully it'll be helpful mm -hmm. um 
I, after having worked with them, I do, if, if I was, I mean, I don't eat fish, but if I was to uh, go into a grocery store like Morrison's and buy some, you know, some fish out there in Morrison's, I would absolutely go for the MSC label because um, as far as bigger commercial fisheries industries go, um, I know that the, that the fisheries they do label have been scrutinized that they have indeed had and they call it like i forgot how they call it but like some sort of independent assessment so the msc is not even really the one that assesses whether the fisheries that particular fisheries is having an environmental impact or whatever they externalize that and then you have a number of consultants that are going to review that fisheries and they will send back like a 200 page report to the msc and then the msc will decide whether or not this actually meets their sustainability standard. So uh, there's an incredible amount of information and complexity that is that ex that exists behind that specific label, and I would. It's not a hundred percent perfect, but if I was to eat fish, um, I would definitely go for that. Um, that being said. Um, if I was, let's say on, um, I don't know, like a, a coast and there were some, you know, some, some small, some small fishing fleets there, um, I wouldn't start looking for labels. Um, in that case, you know, you can, you can talk to local people, you know, what's seasonal, you know, what's local and you don't need to start bothering with labels, but if it comes to, um, you know, cans or this kind of stuff or even uh, i don't know if you want to buy cod or whatever frozen frozen seafood then i would definitely start considering looking at labels and the msc is one that i think uh, people can trust when it comes to that yeah yeah it's interesting the other thing that i felt when i was watching the film um that they sort of wanted to say but couldn't quite because of the evidence. They sort of wanted to say that sustainable fishing wasn't a thing. With virtually no marine protected areas that didn't allow fishing and global fish populations on the brink of collapse, I began to question whether sustainable seafood could even exist. Clearly sustainable fisheries are a thing. Yeah. So they ended up saying, I finally understood sustainability. It just meant that something could continue on and on forever, regardless of how much suffering it caused. In reality, the grind was about as sustainable as you could get. But I began to wonder whether sustainability was truly the right goal for how we took care of the ocean. Would you like to respond to that? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, this is, and I think this is where the message of, um, you know, this whole agenda behind the movie that ends up with this final message of don't eat fish is quite damaging because it, it makes people believe that sustainable fisheries is not a thing, is, is just not defined, is not possible. And that is just completely wrong, like 100% wrong. Sustainable fishies are fishies. Sustainable fishies, <laughs> you can find them. <laughs> They're a thing. <laughs> Right? <laughs> um, and they have little Hessian bags. And they come, you, know. <laughs> you can't, like, it, it, 
it's very damaging in the sense that the people who actually advertise for sustainable fisheries, you know, NGOs that try and, and put out, uh, you know, there are these guides of which fish might be more, might be coming from a, from a more sustainable fishery or, or, you know, the MSC logo that claims to, uh, to certify sustainable fisheries. All of that is completely discredited if you don't believe that sustainable fisheries exist. And the movie is clearly just telling you that that is that's that is not something that exists that people don't even know how to define sustainability which i i don't know how you know i am i have to say so that that interview with the the representative from from oceana um i don't know if you've seen the response from oceana but it was a two-hour interview <laughs> so this goes back to uh, to the integrity thing that you were talking about and um and i don't know he takes what like a 10 second snippet or something well maybe not 10 seconds but what 30 seconds and um and she says something along the lines of there is no there, there's no consensus on what sustainable fishing means in, in the fisheries industry and I, it, I don't know how that came out um in that two-hour conversation i but it's, we, we know how it comes out in a, in a two-hour conversation because We've probably said some things in this conversation, which if you just take the map, I mean, like you just talked about sustainable fishies. I mean, that's not clearly what you didn't mean to, you didn't mean to say that. Um, I, mean, I totally did. <laughs> it's a beautiful image. I love it. I love it. Uh, so I'm going. I'm just before we. I think I kind of want to turn to what we can do to look after the oceans. But um, before we do, I just want to throw some of the statistics out and anybody can confirm or deny them we hear a lot about the great pacific garbage patch and say oh isn't it terrible all our cotton buds and plastic bags are, are swirling around in the great pacific garbage patch 46 percent of it is fishing nets i thought that was bollocks part of incredible oceans is the uh world cetacean alliance they're like the sister charity and they're quite heavily involved with the Global Ghost Gear initiative, which is trying to reduce the amount of fishing nets that are dumped into the ocean, either deliberately or lost accidentally. And I'm fairly sure, and I should probably be Googling this right now, but it's it's something about, it's like 650,000 tonnes of fishing gear is lost every year globally. So compare that to the 8 to 12 million tonnes of plastic that enters the ocean annually. I mean, you could argue that 650,000 tonnes of fishing net is 650,000 tonnes too much, but that's not 46% of a single garbage patch. And obviously there's garbage patches. I say obviously, there are garbage patches in every single one of the oceans, not just the Pacific. I just happened to see a tweet by the author of the study that that figure came from earlier today. And apparently that figure is true. So I think it was 46% and it was the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. But she kind of wrote a thread. It wasn't just a yes, it's true. And in this thread, she kind of explained how that came about. And she said it's not representative of the oceans as a whole. So because fishing gear tends to be bigger plastic, it's more likely to survive long enough without being broken down into microplastics to make it to the middle of the Pacific Ocean. So she said, while that is true 
of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. In the oceans as a whole, they haven't come to a scientific consensus yet, but they think it's probably about 20% from fishing um, and 80% kind of general stuff coming in from rivers. Um, it just happens to be that a lot of the fishing stuff finds its way to the garbage patch. I, I don't know about you, but the first thing that I think when I, in inverted commas, learn about the plastic in the ocean is not... I've got the next flight out to Japan. An interesting choice. <laughs> but perhaps one of the most shocking facts of all came from one of the world's leading fisheries experts, estimating that if current fishing trends continue, we will see virtually empty oceans by the year 2048. The study it was published in 2006, and the lead author is Boris Warm. And it was based on, I mean, the reason why I think it's a, it's very misleading is because it was based on catch data. So what what happened is that they they modeled the future of the fish stocks based on the fish that were landed, how much fish was landed. They used those numbers of landed fish at the port to extrapolate that to, to the modeling and uh, into the health of the fish populations in you know a few decades from now. And of course, because the management changes over the years, the number of fish that was landed also changed over the years. And so it decreased partially because there might have been some overfishing here, but it also decreased because of management, right? And so it, it's just, it's a number, you can't, you just can't use the landing of fish as a, as a data to put into your model to evaluate how your fish stocks are going to be doing in, you know, in the future. So it's just a, it, it's, I mean, I don't know, it's, <laughs> It's not something that anyone uses in, in this field. Even the, the authors who have indeed uh, come up with this and uh, the date is just plain wrong. There will definitely be, be fish in 2048, um, including fish from commercial fish. Fish that are, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's ever, it, and also the fact that it's, uh, that it's you know, a misleading uh, date is everywhere. You just Google it and you'll find that. You know, so, so clearly, I don't even know what kind of research uh, they did for the movie because I don't know. Maybe it was on Ask Jeeves. I couldn't actually see which... <laughs> Wikipedia. <laughs> well, Wikipedia would probably tell you that that value is not valid. I just yeah. what I would like people to do because I want to start turning towards the um, the things that we can do. What I want people to do now, if you're interested in the in the science that they got wrong in this film, is to go to Marine's YouTube channel and to watch her two-parter um if people want to find that stop pause the shed and go to that now um or go to it at the end where can they find that uh well the name of the channel is please don't laugh at me it's marine science cafe of course it, it's there <laughs> you know i started this channel when i was young like four years ago <laughs> now i look back on this name and i'm thinking oh gosh yeah. i need to stick to it now <laughs> But I think that if you type Seaspiracy on YouTube, you will find it. It's called Marine Biologist Reviews Seaspiracy or something of the sort. The views are ticking up nicely. The comments um, as well. I'm sorry, I've not looked at them. Never look at the comments. <laughs> Me neither. Okay. Me neither. Okay. <laughs> That's part of the reason why I'm not loading part two is that I don't want to connect onto my channel. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. 
Yeah. I, I, of course, we'll post a link to it on thecosmicshed.com. I think that we should start looking at why, how we can make things better. And I, I know nobody in the entire world who I've come to first before Emma Bristian on how do we look after the oceans better? Because Emma's been making a podcast about, um, for what it's earth podcast, it's, it's basically about how we can, as individuals, make a better world, right? Um, from the climate change point of view. So how do we do it, Emma? Well, you've really put the spotlight on considering there are actual <laughs> marine biologists who know more I'm about I'm going to come to them later. It's fine. <laughs> okay. It's fine. Perhaps, Marine, you can fact check me, but my advice when it comes to... Um, well, my advice with anything is to think twice about whatever it is you're doing and think, if, see if you can do it better um, because that applies to absolutely everything you do. And the moment you start looking at how on earth do we save the planet, you realise that there's a lot of different things we need to do and can do. But particularly when it comes to sourcing our produce, as I, as I said earlier knowing where it's come from is a really big is is a really big thing that a lot of people won't even connect that food has come from somewhere other than their supermarket um so just breaking that first barrier into working out a whether you're purchasing it from someone local so i would say especially if you live near the coast go to your local fishmongers it's more likely again i'm hoping i'm seeing some nods so i think i'm right in this maybe it's more likely to have come from a, a local fisherman or someone who's 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 it's fresh and it's local and it hasn't come from a massive um, trawling, dredging machine that's destroying everything under the ocean. Um, but also I have worked previously slightly with the Marine Conservation Society and they produce something called the Good Fish Guide every year where they review sustainable fisheries and they basically rate every type of fish that you're likely to find in a supermarket or in your fish and chip shop um and it's you know it's all very uk centric so you can kind of have a look and it'll say oh this species this year is red listed amber listed or green listed based on whether it's likely to have come from a good or a bad source and it's really easy and accessible and it is made to be communicated with the public and it's the sort of thing that you don't have to go and do all the research yourself you can have a little think and say oh, okay right i know maybe this year i'll avoid haddock and i'll switch to something else can't remember what's good what's bad that's really bad of me but it's a lovely little you can have it on your phone so if you're in the supermarket you can kind of double check but um so marine is that was that good advice yeah absolutely i think uh the i think the know what you eat um advice is i mean that it, it as you said it's valid for everything and i think it really just comes down to that in the end uh not all fish is bad not all fishery is unsustainable not all labeling's bad. There's, it's just a matter of doing the work. And I know that, you know, that, that is why the labels do exist is because the consumers have a lot of work to do. If they really want to know where all their food comes from. And so this is where the labeling comes from. This is where the seafood guides come from. And they're there to help you try and make a somewhat more sustainable decision. So, you know, I, I do think that they do have value, but yeah, know what you eat. Um, and I think the other thing I would I would add to that is continue supporting the NGOs. I find that unfortunately the movie puts them on this negative spotlight, really, on the bench of the accused, because they support sustainable fisheries. Um, and uh, but that's not all they do. I mean, they do support sustainable fisheries, but they are also the ones that bring um, discussions with the stakeholders that bring, you know, the industry and the governments and the researchers and the NGOs together and that try and find compromise. And uh, it's very important to keep doing that because as we discussed, the 
the fisheries are not going anywhere. They will, they will continue to exist. Not everyone is going to stop eating fish. So we absolutely need to continue tackling these issues from the root. And that's what the NGOs are doing. And that's what some researchers do. That's what the governments do. I know the governments are always seen as the evil guys there, but no, really, they also do work on these issues. Yeah. So um, just by all means, just continue supporting all these people because they are very important in making sure that indeed we will we still have fish in 2048. I mean, one of the reasons why we still have fish now is because people have been working really hard. It, I know, it is absolutely, absolutely. And I think that is a great shame. It's a great shame about this film that so many people will come away from it thinking these people either don't exist or are doing the wrong thing. And, it, and it's just not acceptable. Natalie, what can we do? I want to know about the seals as well. Can you tell us about the seals? I know you've left the job, but I mean, baby seals. <laughs> oh, the seals are wonderful. Bless them. And, you know, entanglement in fishing gear was, was kind of a part of that. You know, I've, you know, seen the worst of it. I've seen, had to cut rope out of seals' necks and things. So... I'm I'm not Mrs. Fishery. Um, you know, there's probably a lot of local fishermen who probably think, oh, bloody hell, it's that seal girl <laughs> chucking seals out into the sea again. Um, but yeah, you know, honesty is honesty. And I think integrity is integrity. And, you know, you can't, just because it's on my side of the line this time around saying, you know, fisheries cause some problems and we need to support marine conservation doesn't mean that I can stand by and kind of justify misinformation so i hope people can kind of sort of think if it's if it's coming from me that i'm saying you know fisheries aren't the root of all evil then perhaps there is something in it um but yeah in terms of what people can do for the oceans i think in a sense it can be really overwhelming because there's so many different problems it's not just fishing as this room as this film would have you believe you know we've got climate change we've got pollution we've got ship shipping we've got boat strikes disturbance of animals is a big one for seals down here and in a sense that can seem really overwhelming but if you flip it on its head it means there are so many opportunities for people to actually make a difference you don't just have to give up fish and that's the only option you know if you want to join surface against sewage and you know just sign a petition that goes to the government about sewage overflows brilliant you've done something if you want to go full vegan, give up fish for the rest of your life, brilliant, good for you. That's a really valid option if you want to do that. Um, you know, the film starts with straws, saying that giving up straws is a load of junk and it's not going to help anyone. If you want to give up straws, if you want to go and do a beach clean and pick up a load of straws off the beach, you're doing your part. And I think, you know, it's about what people find accessible to them. At one point, all I did was clean up some rubbish around the village home here and you know I've ended up going into environmentalism trying to look after the planet and I think people need a jumping in point and there are so many jumping in points in looking after the ocean it's not hopeless at all and then once you're there just level it up a bit you know if you're going out doing beach cleans why not join the marine conservation society and you can just send them a little checklist of what litter you found on the beach they're going to use all that information and go to the government and they can affect even more impressive change. So I think, you know, it can seem overwhelming at times, but I think actually there's an overwhelming choice of things that people can do to try and help as well, which is perhaps a bit of a more cheery way of looking at it. Uh, so I, I stopped eating fish just because I 
already looked like a wanker with this moustache. You look beautiful. And every time I went into a restaurant, I love, I, lo I love fish. I love fish and seafood. And I'm just like, if I could eat that every day, I would. I just had had enough of going into these restaurants and being like, do you know where this fish came from and how it was caught? And then the waiter would just look at me like, you dick. And then they'd go to the, they'd go into the kitchen and just be like, uh, it arrived, it arrived yesterday. And like, and I don't know, I won't have that then. And it just happened time and time again. And it was just so cringeworthy that in the end I was like, I'm just going to cut this out because I'm just sick of having to have this. And just people just not knowing where this has come from or how it's been caught or anything. Um, I would say, so what I, I do is I don't eat fish, but I do eat mussels and oysters. And I think mussels and oysters are amazing ecosystem engineers. So one oyster can fill, and I'm definitely going to get the statistic wrong, but it's a lot of gallons in a short time. It's, I, I'm going to say like two gallons a day or an hour or 50. I have no idea. They filter a lot of water. And I think what they do is they, there's loads of videos. You can go online, search for them like time lapses of, they put 10 oysters in some murky water and the water becomes clean really quickly. And by doing this and removing all the murk from the water, then light is able to penetrate further down into the water column and it makes the water column much more productive. You look at the health aspects of eating oysters and they're basically just like a super dose of amazing nutrients and minerals and they taste amazing. And I have I have a rule, a life rule, that whenever I pass anywhere that sells oysters, I go in and buy three. And... Uh, uh, yeah, so uh, I think oysters and mussels also great. So yeah, I strongly recommend just eat loads of okay, oysters so and mussels. The, the solution is just to eat more fish. Okay, so there's <laughs> 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 it's just it's clearly not. I'm hoping that everybody who listens to the Cosmic Show gets jokes, gets nuance, and it's fine. Uh, any last thoughts from everybody? I think, and we'll start on my right as I look at the screen, which is Marine. I am tempted to say that as a last thought, because I have a lot of last thoughts, but the one I will choose is that really the situation is not that bad in the ocean. For sure, things are not perfect. Yes, these issues, a lot of the issues mentioned in the movie do exist. Not the whole conspiracy layer, by the way, that is, I don't know where that's coming from. But yes, illegal fishing and etc. But really, there is a lot at the fisheries. Fish are a resource that can replenish itself um, like way better than a lot of terrestrial terrestrial organisms. And so they do. And if they are well managed, they're not doing so bad. So there are indeed regions of the world where things are kind of uh gloomy and they're not looking so good but there's also a lot of parts of the world where it is looking quite good and where in fact the stocks are increasing and so i just want to kind of give this message of hope because as natalie was saying you know the i find that the movie is just um it's just not giving people any kind of <laughs> hope whatsoever i mean it's basically the end right and that is just not true Things are not as bad as they're portrayed in the movies. Yes, quite. Natalie. Yeah, 
I think my final thoughts probably move away a bit from the marine world and into more the communications world, putting a different hat on. I think the main message I would say is just be really careful with what you believe and what you trust. I think, you know, statistics on their own are a powerful thing. Even when they're right, they can be kind of misinterpreted. I think people's words can be misinterpreted, as we said with the interviews. And I think just any piece of media that you consume, consume it critically would be my kind of take home message. I think just because something's wrapped up as a documentary doesn't mean you should believe everything in it. And I kind of was watching the film thinking, you know, if this wasn't about the seas, I could see these tactics being used by, you know, anti-vaxxers or kind of Trumpian style politicians. And I just thought, I don't like the way that this is going. I think, you know, there seems to be more and more of this clickbaity sensationalist style kind of media being thrown out there under the guise of documentaries and under the guise of science. And I think just really take everything with a pinch of salt, go away, do your own research and listen to the scientists, listen to the experts. Don't watch a film by, you know, some boy who's only just discovering that whaling exists um, and then go and give scientists on Twitter a load of abuse. I just, it's not the way. Um, So yeah, that would be my main take home point is use your head, be critical, think about what you're consuming. Lovely. Lovely stuff. So as a solution, know what you eat, but also know what you watch. Ah, nice. That's a good tagline. Russell? My final thoughts are that I feel too often in environmentalism that the onus is put on individuals. And I think this is a thing that has happened with carbon footprints, which was effectively invented by the oil companies and to spin it on the consumer. And the same dialogue and emphasis is put on plastic footprint that it's up to us as individuals to go out and buy bamboo things and and it's up to us to solve the problem but it's impossible because everywhere you look everything is packaged in plastic and i think a lot of environmentalists demonize plastic and it's not necessarily it is how we're using it not it as a substance so i i I just want more people to make governments and all, and companies and organisations who are producing it accountable instead of us. And one thing which I have been doing to try and get a handle on this is I am so angry when supermarkets sell me something in a plastic thing that says not currently recycled. So you've got the audacity to sell me that and then sell me a bag to put it in and someone else has got to deal with it. So I've got my tote bags. So what I do with all my unrecyclable plastic is put it in my tote bag. So when I go shopping again and then I give it back to the supermarkets. And if everyone did that and the supermarkets had to pay to dispose of that in their commercial wrecks, then pretty quickly they'd sort stuff out. So that is how I have re-empowered myself plastic wise. My thoughts jump jump off um, a lot of what Russell's just said in terms of I completely agree dealing with the climate and ecological crisis and all of the little abundant crises that make those up. It it should not be on us as individuals. But also, and I think this film is probably the kind of thing, as we, we've touched on hopelessness, that it's kind of given a lot of people and it's probably triggered a lot of people's eco-anxiety, which is very pervasive, at, particularly at the moment. Yep, you're nodding, I'm nodding, lovely. We're not alone there. 
one of the best ways that psychologists are recommending that we deal with our eco-anxiety because it's a perfectly normal response to the fact that we're facing the climate and ecological crisis. Having a panic about that is is perfectly normal. It shouldn't be demonised. But um, one of the ways that we can best deal with it is empowering ourselves and taking agency and feeling like we can make a difference. And basically the entire premise of my podcast is, yes, it shouldn't be us, but we can make a difference as individuals, particularly when all of us or enough of us shout loud enough, lobby hard enough and use our consumer purchasing power and make decisions with the money that we spend and how we look at everything. And, and like you said, Russ, if, if all of us stormed into a supermarket and were like, we don't want this plastic, they'd have to listen. And in the same way as if all of us suddenly started only buying fish from our local fishmongers, maybe the supermarkets would realise that something's going wrong with the way they're peddling fish and actually the appetite in an increasing number of their consumers is for sustainably sustainable products in all areas of life, not just fish. Um, so I think that shouting, making your opinions known, seeking solutions of which there are always more, there are so many new things coming up all the time to make your life and the way you live your life slightly more planet friendly, but really, really channeling that energy into something that goes beyond just you can make a difference. Lovely stuff. What I would say is that I think that it's really easy for me and other people in the science community to forget how everybody else comes to things. And I think about vaccines and I think about the kind of, it's really easy for me to, to, to not be nervous about vaccines because I can pick up my phone and text my friends who work on vaccines. It's really easy for me to know whether what I'm seeing in a documentary is true because I can get in touch with people who know it's really easy for me to do that. And, and, and I know people, I'm very good friends with people for whom that is not the case. We have to understand, I think, and I think everybody here does that. Um, I'm not pointing the finger at all here. But I think we as science communicators and in some cases scientists, I think we have to understand that the rest of society doesn't have the, the, the kind of privilege of understanding and knowledge that we do. And as filmmakers... We should respect that too. And I don't think that's what happened here. And that's why I wanted to make a podcast about it. And I would like to thank very much Natalie Dyer, Emma Bristian, Marine Cousin and Russell Arnott for joining me. What you can do if you're not um, from the world of science communication and you're listening to this podcast is you can follow all of these people on Twitter. We will post links to their Twitter accounts on thecosmicshed.com. And we'll be back very soon. I hope um, Marina and Natalie will join us again. Thank you so much, Andrew. Yeah, thanks. I know Emma and Russell will. No problems. Um, and I hope that you'll listen again because we have just organised um, Andy Weir to return to The Cosmic Shed to talk about his new book. And we're going to be doing an episode on The Vast of Night, which is a really very beautiful film um, in a different kind of way which is available on Amazon Prime about a, a sort of town in the middle of nowhere in 1950s America which gets a, a radio signal that's a beautiful thing and um, we're going to be talking about Ammonite a new film about Mary Anning starring Kate Winslet and Kate Winslet will be on the podcast which is nice and thank you very much for listening The Cosmic Shed Science Fact Science Fiction and everything in between This podcast is brought to you by The Stimulus Network Just as a final thing I'd just like to say that I was really excited because my whole my whole PhD 
is on mixing and turbulence. And it was mentioned twice in this conspiracy. <laughs> but did you, did you notice, though, how they completely undermined its importance when it comes to phytoplankton? Because basically they said that if the whales die, the phytoplankton dies, which is yeah, completely I was, wrong. I was a bit annoyed that it was simplified, but then I was like, mm, but at least they've mentioned it a bit. And then they brought in some biogenic mixing. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. And John DeBerry, they showed John DeBerry's little sea monkey swimming. And John DeBerry is like a massive hero of mine. So I was just like, <laughs> my work here is done. That's the biggest positive that I'm taking from that film now. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> 